0: Well, I want to say good morning to those who are watching online. It's a beautiful day outside. Thank you for being here in the building and just appreciate you being here so much. Let me just say something super, super quickly. In two weeks, we're going to have what we call a, a prayer and healing service. We did this years and years ago. And I just felt impressed to do it again. And, and, and so we're going to have a time and I'm going to invite you to come and I want you to invite your friends and neighbors. We're going to, we believe what God says about prayer and about how God heals. So you may have a physical ailment. Your marriage may be hurting. You may have a big problem with kids, with with, with a prodigal son or a child, or maybe you you need a job. And we want to pray specifically for your needs. And so that's going to be in about two Sundays from now. So I want you to be thinking about it, praying about it. And if you know people who are sick and struggling, especially uh, during this time, uh, we would love to pray with them and lay our hands on them. We believe God still heals. In fact, all healing comes from God. So I just wanted to make you aware of that. Um, In 2005, Yahoo created what was hailed at the time as a haven for the confused and the curious. It was called Yahoo Answers. It was kind of an online crowdsourcing deal. And and so what they did was they just opened up their their venue and they said anybody can ask any question that they want to ask. It was just, you know, one come one, come all. And they sent it out to the entire universe. Well, this year, for whatever the reason, Yahoo announced they were shutting down that site so immediately, online publications began compiling the most hilarious questions that were posted on this forum over 16 years. So I'm going to throw up, these are real questions that people ask on Yahoo over 16 years. Not making these up, these are re- real questions. How do I unbake a cake? I'm not making these up, I'm really not. Should spaghetti be way shorter? Will my laptop get heavier if I put more files on it? Why is everything in my grandmother's house moist? When did 9-11 happen? Do you think humans will ever walk on the sun? If Batman's parents are dead, then how was he born? I love that question. If I eat myself, would I become twice as big or disappear completely? These are ag- I'm not making these up. Now, I had a kid yesterday. We we're having these serious questions. And I had this kid ask me this question. He thought he was being cool. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? He thought he was being cool. I don't know. He's, he's here somewhere. Well, I found out yesterday he flunked kindergarten three times, so I understand why he asked that question. Now, these are, see, I told you I'd get you. See, these are funny. These are funny. But the site created a space for people to also ask very serious spiritual questions about life after death. Now, these were some good questions. Is there proof that heaven exists? What is heaven supposed to be like? Where is heaven located? Well, I see my grandmother in heaven. Do you go straight to heaven after you die? What do people in heaven do for fun? You know, as a pastor, I get obviously asked, honestly, a lot of questions. And one of the most interesting questions about heaven that I've heard is this one. If God loves me so much that he sent Jesus to die for me and he wants to take me to heaven, why doesn't he go ahead and do it? That's a great question. And honestly, when I got saved as a boy, nine years old, that question began to kind of come into my mind. You know, I, I thought to myself, if God loves me so much and can't wait for me to get to heaven, why doesn't he go ahead and take me there now? And then my light turned on, I got it. I said, okay, I think I figured it out. Evidently, you've got things you want me to do on earth before you take me to heaven or you would take me to heaven. That's why I believe if you're a follower of Jesus, You will not die or should not die one second before God wants you to die. And until you die, it doesn't matter whether you're in the hospital, you're in assisted living, you're in a nursing home, you're in a wheelchair. God has a work he wants you to do. God has things he wants you to accomplish. And so you can really summarize the life of a Christian in three words. In the meantime, in the meantime, until I get to heaven, what does God want from my life? What does God expect from me? Well, this is a question that doesn't need to be crowdsourced, crowdsourced, because God did us a big, big favor. In one magnificent verse in the Old Testament, God tells us exactly what He wants us to do. He tells all of us exactly what He requires before we go to heaven. Now, I want to tell you where this book is, okay? The book is in the Old Testament. It's a prophet called Micah. Okay, now you may not know where Micah is. If you wanna get on your iPhone or a pad or your Bible, go to Genesis and just start going right, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, Song, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah, so it's right after the book of Jonah, okay? So you go to the book of Micah. Now, here's a fun fact. The last 12 books of the Old Testament were written by what we call minor prophets. Now, let's be honest. Most Christians can't even name the minor prophets. And even worse, most Christians have probably never even read much of the minor prophets. Because let's be honest. You're more likely to have read Matthew than you are to have read Micah. You are more likely to have read John than you have to have read Joel, more likely to have read Acts than you have to have read Amos. And, And that's somewhat understandable because, look, we are New Testament Christians. We are not ancient Jews. And so I understand that. I get that. Yet, what I have found is some of the greatest biblical principles and truths found anywhere in Scripture are in the minor prophets, which are anything but minor. Because the, first that we're going, the verse we're going to study today, believe it or not, is one of the most well-known verses in all the prophets. I've heard politicians quote this verse. I've seen this verse on bumper stickers. It's been written on posters. It's been written on, uh, at protests. It's been printed on coffee mugs. Now, the, the amazing thing is it's only one verse, and it's only in three sentences, but big things really do come in small packages. And this small verse answers this real big question. So what does God want me to do in the meantime? Until my number is up and my name is called and it's time for me to check out, what is it that God requires of me? What does God want of me? Now, let me just say this. To understand this verse, you need to remember something as believers. If you're a believer, this is true of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means you've accepted the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, He was physically raised from the dead. If we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, we will be saved, we'll be forgiven, we'll receive eternal life, we'll have a relationship with God. We all know that, but here's the problem. Far too many Christians think that's where the gospel ends, it's not. That's where the gospel starts. That's not where the gospel ends because the gospel not only tells us how to relate to God, The gospel also says once you are right with God, then you know how to relate to other people. So in other words, there is a vertical appropriation of the gospel, but that's to be followed by a a horizontal application of the gospel. See, the gospel is not just an Instagram post. You don't just love the gospel. You live the gospel. My life is a gospel saturated life. I go to bed thinking about the gospel. I wake up thinking about the gospel. I ask God every day to give me an opportunity to share with somebody the gospel. Because I I finally got it through this thick head of mine. You know what? The gospel ought to guide my steps. It ought to guide my decisions. It ought to guide my purchases. It ought to guide how I vote. It ought to guide my habits. And the result of all of that should be a world that is more just, not less. Because God not only seeks to justify people who are lost, we know that. But we're going to find out that God also seeks justice for all people, whether they believe in him or not. And we have a biblical responsibility to do all that we can to make this world a better place to live in. So, you're going to find out that we've got two jobs. We are to advance the gospel to the soul, but we're also advance goodness to the suffering. Now, there was an old term that was used back when I was in seminary. You may not have heard it before, but it was called the social gospel. And there were people who came along and said, oh, the gospel's not about seeing people saved. The gospel's not about Jesus dying on the cross and coming back from the dead. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel's about feeding the poor. And the gospel's about eliminating racism. And the gospel's about taking care of the hungry. Well, let me just be very clear to you. I do not believe in the social gospel, but I do believe the gospel ought to be sociable. Our primary responsibility should always be the salvation of the soul. But God says it's also our job to give strength to the suffering. It is also our job to give food to the hungry. It is our job to give water to the thirsty. It is our job to give clothes to the naked. It is our job to give justice to the oppressed. Because once you've really experienced the grace of God, these are not things you have to do. These are not things people make you do. These are are things that you want to do. Jesus did. He said, literally, he's literally said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, my number one goal is I'm after the soul. I'm after the heart. I want to transform your life. I want to change you. I want to take you from darkness to light and from death to life. That's my number one goal. But then he went on to say this, I also want to bring good news to the poor. I want to proclaim release from the captive, recovery of sight to the blind. I want to set the oppressed free. So Jesus preached the kingdom, but that's not all. What did Jesus do? If you were hungry, he fed you. If you were thirsty, he gave you water. If you were sick, he healed you. If you were hurting, he touched you. So with all of that in mind, we're in the book of Micah, chapter 6, we're going to look at one verse, verse 8. What are we to do in the meantime? Till you and I go to heaven, what does God want us to do? Three simple things. You ready? Number one. We are to lead justly. We're to lead justly. Now, Micah begins this verse by asking the question of all questions. You ready? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Great question. You're a teenager. You say you love the Lord. You're in high school. You play football, You play basketball. You're a member of a club, you cheerlead. In the meantime, What does God require of you? You are a lawyer, a doctor, a ditch digger, a bus driver. In the meantime, what does God require of you? Because once you become a believer, you've got to ask that question. So here's the question. So how do you know you're living the life the way you ought to live it? How do you know you're doing what God wants you to do? And by the way, how do you know he's pleased with the way you conduct your affairs? Well, the first requirement sounds very simple. But it's really profound, especially the day that we live, right? Here's the first thing God says Act justly. So, what does the Lord require of you? Act justly. Now, that word for justice or justly is found over 200 times in the Old Testament. And it's really simple. What it means is this you treat people equitably, you treat people the way they deserve to be treated. You treat people the way you'd want them to treat you. And oh, by the way, you, saw, you also advocate that people are treated justly. You also speak up for those who are not treated justly. For example, over in Leviticus, we read this. You, have, you are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. The word there for the same law, believe it or not, is exactly the same word that Micah used for justice. In other words, here's what God said to Israel. I don't care if you've got people that are Israeli or they're not. Maybe they came from a foreign country. Maybe they're pagan. Maybe they don't even believe that I exist. That's all right. You are to have the same law for everybody. Everybody's to be equally protected under the law. In other words, justice was to be blind to race. It was to be blind to to socioeconomic wealth. It was to be blind to your level of education, to religion. Justice shows no partiality. Now, here's the problem. When we think about justice, we think, okay, I know what you're saying. We need to give people what they deserve. And that is one aspect of justice, right? We are to make sure that people who do wrong are punished. But we tend to forget the other side of justice. And that is not just making sure that evil doers get punished. The other side of justice is that we are to make sure that the rights of people are protected. One of the greatest kings who ever lived wrote these words, his name was Solomon. He said, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So justice is giving people what is fair. It may be punishment or it may be protection. It may be punishment or it may be provision, but it's treating everybody the same. And by the way, every time you find this word is called, mishpot mishpat, that's the Hebrew word, mishpat. Four classes of people keep coming up. This, is, this will be worth coming to church for. Four classes of people always come up in the Old Testament when they talk about being just. Watch this. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other, but they refuse to pay attention stubbornly. They turned their backs and they covered their ears. Back in the day, these four groups of people widows, orphans, immigrants and poor people, they had no social power, they had no political influence, they had no financial strength, and it's not much different than it is today. They basically lived at a substance that's poverty level. Many of them were just days away from starvation at any time. So today we might say that we need to make sure refugees have justice. And we need to make sure the people of all color have justice. And we need to make sure that single parents are treated justly. We need to make sure that elderly people are taken care of because simply put, the measuring stick of goodness, whether you're an individual or a nation, is whether you really care for, have concern for, and compassion for the least and for the lost, for the oppressed and the prisoner, for the poor and the the immigrant. So some people may not like this, but the truth of the matter is we don't have a choice as believers. We must be involved in the issues of poverty and unemployment and homelessness and hunger and racism and prostitution and sex slavery and abortion. It's why I'm so very proud of our ministries where we give food and clothing to the needy. We, we have a care point. We have a ministry called Feed on the Street, where we minister to the homeless in downtown Atlanta. We go to several prisons around the area, visiting prisoners, preaching the gospel, offering words of encouragement. Why do we do that? Because Jesus came to advocate for the least and for the lost. Jesus remembered who we tend to forget. Jesus focused on who we don't even pay attention to. Jesus helped people who He knew could never help Him. And what's amazing is this, when you read the Old Testament, if you were living back in Old Testament times... In virtually all of the ancient cultures of the world, the power of the false gods, you know who they identified with? They didn't identify with the outcast. They didn't identify with the widows and the orphans and the aliens. You know who the false gods identified with? With the kings and the elites and the people in political power and the generals of the army and the wealthy. But then the God of Israel came along, and this is what blew everybody's mind about the God that Israel worshipped. Because the God that Israel worshiped said, You know who I identify with? I identify with the orphan. I identify with the alien. I identify with the refugee. I identify with the women. I identify with the widows. I identify with the With the poor because unlike every other false god that pagans worship the big true God of Israel was a God on the on the side of the powerless he was the God on the side of the poor and we should be true we should be as well now again I want to make this plain our number one goal our number one job our number one responsibility is to evangelize we're to spread the gospel we're to tell people about Jesus that's always our number one mission but we are not only just to seek the sheep that are lost We also need to minister to the Samaritan on the side of the road. We are to lead justly. That's requirement one. Here's the second thing God requires. We're to love mercy. We lead justly, but we love mercy. The first one describes our action. The second one describes our affection. Listen to what he says. He says, I want you to act justly. And then he says to love mercy. It's really strange. He doesn't say be merciful. He says, I want you to love mercy. I want you to adore mercy. I want you to shower mercy with your affection. And we're, so what does that mean? It means we not only love to give mercy, we love it when other people get mercy. By the way, justice and mercy go together. Because you might think at first, well, you're really talking about two different things. There's really a big difference between justice and, and, and mercy, but they're really not. Because the word for mercy refers to God's own unconditional grace, God's own compassion to you and to me. Justice refers to the action. That's what we do. Mercy refers to the action, the affection behind the action. You know why I want other people to be treated justly? Because I love mercy and I want justice to be a merciful justice. I want people to be treated justly because I have a merciful love And By the way, that Hebrew word for mercy is the word chesed, beautiful word, used over 250 times in the, in the Old Testament. One English word alone can't really translate it. Sometimes it's called mercy. Sometimes it's called love. Sometimes it's called kindness. Most of the time it's called loving kindness. Now, let's just be real honest. We're gonna really get down to brass tacks. When we do something wrong to somebody else, You know what we want? We want mercy. But when somebody does something wrong to us, you know what we want? We don't want mercy. We want justice. God says, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. Justice is when you give people what they deserve. We like that. Mercy is when you don't give people what they do deserve. We don't like that. And grace is when you give people what they don't deserve. We don't like that either. So mercy is when you give people what they do. What is when you don't give people what they do deserve. We say I don't like that. What Micah is saying is, look, our first inclination is, boy, somebody does us wrong. We want justice. But if we do somebody else wrong, we want mercy. And what what Micah is saying is this, boy, what a difference this would make in our society. He said, when people do you wrong, instead of trying to, to cut them up, why don't you cut them some slack? Because the bottom line is this. When you love mercy, you'll live mercy. When you love mercy, you will live mercy. See, giving, what you say, well, why is living mercy and why is giving mercy so important? Let me tell you, I've learned this. If you're not a merciful person, and some of us are not, some of us are a little bit hard." If you're not a merciful person, I promise you two things will be true about you in your life. You mark it down. You will be a judgmental person, and you will be a bitter person. If you don't care, if you say, man, mercy's just not my gift. I promise you, you will be a judgmental person. You will be a bitter person. Because I don't know why, but there's something liberating. There's something that's freeing when you treat the lowest and the littlest and the least with kindness and with mercy. There was a mother that went to Napoleon. Her son had committed a second offense and it was worthy of death. Justice demanded his death. So the mother went to Napoleon. She said, sire, I'm not asking for justice for my son. I'm pleading for mercy. And Napoleon replied, but he doesn't deserve mercy. And the mother said, yes, sir, you're right but it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it, and mercy is all I'm asking. And Napoleon replied, then I will show mercy. It's hard, because you don't want to give people what they don't deserve, that's mercy. So yes, let's punish the evildoers, for sure. Let's confront wrong and evil wherever we find it, but what he's saying is, whenever we can, wherever we can, however we can, let's show mercy enough to love it, and let's show mercy enough to show it. I can tell you as a pastor, I don't guess anybody in the world needs mercy more than a pastor, because I got a bullseye on my back. I'm a public figure, and I make mistakes, and there are things in my ministry I wish I could do over, But I cannot tell you the number of times I've been so grateful for people in the churches I've pastored that love me enough to cut me some slack, show me some mercy, let me learn from my mistakes knowing I will use it to be a better man and a better person. We are to lead justly. We are to love mercy. But then he says this, and this is the big key. We're to live humbly. We're to live humbly. Now, here's the last requirement. What did he say? This is what God requires of you. Act justly, check, love mercy, check. But then he says, what's this? Walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. I'm not going to call any names. And I've told people this before. There's nothing that gets under my skin more than big shot preachers. I wouldn't call names, but I'm thinking of some right now. I've known some of these superstar preachers. They could strut sitting down. (laughs) Micah said, walk humbly with your God. See, if you leave God out of this equation, none of this is going to work, okay? This is not what's required of you to be saved or to be right with God. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, this is proof you are saved. This is proof you are right with God. If you are saved and you are right with God, you will love justice. You will lead justly. You will love mercy. You will live humbly. Because you won't love mercy till you personally experience the mercy of God. You can't know justice till you've been justified by the judge of the universe. And you cannot walk humbly with your God until you first walk to God and surrender your life to him. So what he's talking about, this is not what you got to do in order to be saved. This is what you do if you have been saved and after you've been saved. By the way, the the word walk in the Bible is a metaphor for just the way you live your life. And and you see, he says we're to walk humbly. Let me just be honest with you. That's a tricky thing. One of, the, one of the most difficult things to do in life is to be humble. And let me tell you why. <laughs> the moment you think you're humble, you're not. I mean, the moment you say, you know, I am so proud of my humility. <laughs> you just lost it. I mean, it's really kind of an amazing thing. Because humility begins with realizing this. Here's how you you get humble with God. Once you wake up and realize anything you are, anything you do, anything you have, anything you achieve in this life is all because of the grace of God. And when that finally hits you, then you begin to walk humbly with a God that you know, and the God that you love. And you finally realize, you know what, Lord, anything I ever do that's worth anything is because you live in me, you work for me, and I walk with you. I I love this story, I I came across this story. It was a story of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And they pulled into a service station, he was filling his car up with gas. He went inside to get something to drink. When he came out, he noticed his wife was talking with a guy that worked at the service station. Well, it, it turned out that she not only knew this guy back, back in high school, that she used to date this guy. They went steady. and In fact, they almost got married. So they got in the car and they drove off and the CEO was you know, kind of feeling pretty good. And he said, you know, he says, I, um, I bet I know what you were thinking. She said, what's that? He said, I bet you were thinking you were glad you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO, and not some guy that works at a service station. She said, no. Actually, I was thinking if I'd married him, he'd be the Fortune 500 guy and you'd be working at the station. <laughs> now, you see, real humility comes from understanding who you are in relation to who God is. Because when you walk with the God of the universe, you realize I'd be nothing without him. I'd be lost without him. I'd be undone without him. I'd be helpless without him. And pride would never become a problem. And while I'm in the neighborhood, let me tell you something. If you, if you were to ask me right now, Pastor, I know you don't like to talk politics, you get into politics, but let me just ask you a question. What do you think is the number one thing wrong with America today? I can tell you in one word, pride. Pride. We have been told, and you have been taught, We think two things can solve all our problems. We think education can solve our problems and legislation can solve our problems. That's what we've been told. Education and legislation can solve our problems. And if we'll just educate right and legislate right, we'll act justly, we'll love mercy, and we don't even have to know God at all. Now, let me just make something very plain. I believe in good education. I believe in good legislation. But education will not make anybody merciful, just, or good, and legislation won't do it either. And don't take my word for it. Martin Luther King said this, morality can, can't be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. Judicial decrees may not change the heart, but they can restrict the heartless. The law cannot make an employer love me, but it can keep him from refusing to hire me because of the color of my skin. He's exactly right. Education can help you on the outside. Legislation can help you on the outside. It can't do anything on the inside. But Micah said, when you know the judge you justifies, you'll act justly. When you've experienced the mercy of a compassionate God, you will love mercy. And here's what he said. When you act justly and you love mercy, you'll know the reason you do is because you walk humbly with the Lord your God. So I want to close with this. I don't know if you guys over here, the, 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 you, you high school kids, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy or not, but if you don't, you need to know who he is. One of my heroes, I think one of the greatest Americans who ever lived, ought to be in the All World, All American Hall of Fame. He was an African American. His name was Booker T. Washington. How many of you have ever heard of Booker T. Washington? All right. If you haven't heard of him, let me just say this in love. Shame on you. You go home today, guys, you go home today, and you go Google Booker T. Washington. Absolutely one of the, am I right, Melvin? Absolutely one of the greatest men who ever set foot in this country. If you're a parent, teach your kids about Booker T. Washington. If you're a grandparent, teach your grandkids about Booker T. Washington. One of the most famous black men in America, he was, at the time when he lived, he was one of the most famous black men in America. When that, back, back in the day, the system kept black people down. They showed them their place, but he was one of the few men you couldn't keep him down. He was just that cream that just rised, rose to the top. And when very few black people achieved notoriety due to a rigged system, I mean, this man for 25 years he was the dominant black voice in America. But that's not what made him great. What made him great was he was a passionate follower of Jesus. He was passionately in love with Jesus let me tell you about this man he once shared tea with the Queen of England this is back in the 1890s a black man he shared tea with the Queen of England he was the first black man ever to be invited to dine with the president at the White House it was Theodore Roosevelt And Roosevelt perhaps paid him the highest compliment that can ever be paid. When they got up at the dinner where they were having dinner, President Roosevelt got up, and here's what he said about Booker T. Washington. Of any man I've ever met, Booker T. Washington has lived up to Micah's verse, What more does the Lord require of you than to do justice, love mercifully, and walk humbly with your God? Well, one incident may explain why he said that about this great man. I want you to listen to this. Booker T. Washington was in Des Moines, Iowa, and he was speaking to standing room only crowds at six different churches. That night, he spoke at an opera house where it was standing room only, and everybody in town knew who he was. He was the talk of the town. Well, that evening, he was in the lobby of the hotel where we were staying, and a woman came up to him and just assumed he worked at the hotel. She didn't know who he was. But she just assumed, because he was a black man, well, you must be a a bail man or an employee. She asked him for a glass of water. Now, here's what we would have been tempted to do. With all respect, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? But listen to this. When she asked him for a glass of water, instead of identifying who he was, he went and got her a glass of water. But that's not where he stopped he handed her the glass of water and then he said ma'am is there anything else I can do for you (sighs) what a man what a big man what a great man you know why he didn't pull rank he didn't say look who I am he didn't say instead of ask me for a glass of water you ought to be asking for my autograph he was a man that walked so humbly with his God. He just said, ma'am, is there anything else I can do for you? That's what I want to be like. And I know we near the man Booker T. Washington was, but here's what I want to close with. In the end, you know what this verse points to? If you know anything about the Bible, you know. You know who this verse really points to? Can somebody guess? Jesus. Say, what do you mean, Jesus? Think about it. Knowing that justice demanded payment for the penalty of our sins, even though he never sinned, he died for our sins. He acted justly. And then when he was on the cross, when all those people out there that were spitting at him and cursing him and beat him and nailed him to that cross, instead of giving them what he deserved, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He loved mercy. And then that same Jesus, the night before he was crucified, the night before he knew every disciple would turn tail and run, what did he do? He got on his knees and he washed their feet. He walked humbly with his God. So Micah 6 8 is not just a requirement, it is a recipe. To live the best life you ever will ever live. The happiest life you will ever know. And the greatest life you will ever achieve. Because when you lead justly and you love mercy and you live humbly, you're doing what you need to be doing in the meantime. Let's pray together. With his bowed and with eyes closed. I don't know who I'm talking to today through a camera or in a building. I don't know. But I will tell you this. If you want to know where you really are with God, look at those three things in your life. Do you lead justly? Is justice important to you? Is it a big deal? Oh, by the way, even if people accuse you of being woke, if that's what it means to be woke, I'm woke. Do you love justice? Do you cry out for justice? Do you want to see justice done everywhere for everybody? Do you love mercy? Or do you ride a high horse every day looking down on other people and seeing who you can condemn and who you can criticize? And then, do you just walk humbly with your God? Humbling yourself before him and yes, humbling yourself before other people. Do you just do that? It won't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. It won't come until you know Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you the chance to do that. I want to give you the chance to know how to do what you need to do and what you need to do in the meantime. So if you've never trusted Christ, maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you're a single adult. Maybe you're a senior adult. But you've never really given your life to Christ. But you've heard enough today to say, now that's the kind of life I want to live. That's me. I want to love justice. I want to to lead justly. I want to love mercy. And I want to live humbly. Then pray this right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I can't live that life without you. It's impossible. But you can live that life through me. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. Come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me. I repent and turn away from my sin. And by the way, I repent and turn away from bad attitudes I've had toward other people. I ask you to change me from the inside out. Forgive me of my sins. I receive your gift of eternal life. Question, did you pray that prayer? Yes, I did. Did you mean it? Yes, I did then I want to ask you to do something, whether you're in this building or you're watching me right now through a camera or through a TV. I want you to either go to this website, crosspointchurch.com decision, or even easier, just take your cell phone out right now and just text Jesus to 678 That's all I want you to do. Do it right now. If you gave your life to Christ, do it right now. You'll be, You'll know what you need to do. Once you get there, we're going to help you walk through what your next steps are as you follow Jesus, it's real simple. If you're in this building today, and you made a decision, and you'd like to talk to someone about your decision, or you've thought about joining our church, or you'd like to say, you know, I've never been baptized, I need to be baptized. If you'll just, when this service is over, if you'll just go out to the lobby, there will be people there at a table called Connection Point, just go to that table, just tell them what you wanna do, tell them what your decision is, they'll know exactly what information they need to give you, they'll tell you what you need to do. This message today, There are people you know. i got neighbors across the street I want you to pray for. I'm I'm going to witness to them. They don't know what they're to do in the meantime. and I don't know if they have a meantime or not. That's why we all leave sin. That's why we all need a one. Because they need to hear what we talked about today. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, in the meantime, let our church be a church that's known to lead justly. And to love mercy. And to live humbly. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, I want you to stand to your feet. Micah's got one last word. Everybody stand up to your feet. And look, um, we're going to have barbecue. We've got all kinds of things, got it ready to go. And I think, Micah, you're going to give all the, the logistics and all the information. By the way, um, number one, the food's free, okay? I just want you to know that, not pay for it. Number two, I don't want you to think, well, I'm not a member here. This is for everybody. Whether you doesn't matter to me whether you're a member, whether you're a guest. Democrat Republican libertarian independent we couldn't care less okay we just want to have fellowship I would ask you to do one thing I'm not gonna I'm gonna do this don't be in a rush we have got plenty of food for everybody but I want to just come and kind of mingle and mix and just want to get to know you and I want to thank you for being a part of our service today so you give them those instructions Mike hey,